Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi, and welcome back to the Old Testament podcast. Today's episode is going to be Ruth chapter 1. And since we're beginning the book of Ruth, I'll give a little introduction about this book here. The book of Ruth happens the same time as the book of Judges. It's probably written by Samuel. It serves as a transition between the period of the Judges and Israel's scattering by forecasting the scattering and gathering of Israel. Ruth is an ancestor of David and Jesus. It also shows how we should take care of new converts. Here, embosomed amidst the hills of Judah, where afterwards David pastured his father's flocks and where shepherds heard angels hail the birth of David's greater son, we seem to feel once again the, the healthful breath of Israel's spirit and we see what moral life is, it was capable of fostering alike in the individual and in the family. If Boaz was, so to speak, the patriarch of a village, in which the old biblical customs were continued, the humblest homes of Bethlehem must have preserved true Israelitish piety in its most attractive forms. For unless the Moabitess Ruth had learned to know and love the land and the faith of Israel in the Bethlehemite household of Elimelech, transported as it was for a time into into the land of Moab, she would not have followed so persistently her mother-in-law away from her own home to share her poverty, to work, if need be, even to beg for her. And from such ancestry, nurtured under such circumstances, did the shepherd king of Israel spring, the ancestor and the type of the Lord and Savior of men. These four things, then, seem the object of the book of Ruth, to present a supplement by way of contrast to the book of Judges, to show the true spirit of Israel, to exhibit once more the mysterious connection between Israel and the Gentiles, whereby the latter at the most critical period of Israel's history, seem most unexpectedly called in to take a leading part and to trace the genealogy of David. Specifically, perhaps, the latter two, for as one has beautiful, beautifully remarked, if, it, if as regards its contents, the book of Ruth stands on the threshold of the history of David, yet as regards its spirit, it stands like the psalm at the threshold of the gospel not merely on account of the genealogy of Christ, which leads up to David and Boaz, but on account of the spirit, which the teaching of David breathes, do we love to remember that Israel's great king sprang from the union of Boaz and Ruth, which is symbolical of that between Israel and the Gentile world. And that was by Edersheim. There's a lot of good stuff that Alfred Edersheim wrote, and so there's going to be a lot of quotes from him in this uh, chapter, in this book. Verse 1, Now it came to... Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, why would they call Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Judah? That's because there's also a Bethlehem and Zebulun. A family went to Moab. Um, okay, the original Moab was the son of Lot's oldest daughter, and thus the Moabites were akin to the Israelites, but represented a different way of life and religion. That was out of the Institute Manual. 
and the name of the man was Eli Melech, which in Hebrew means my God is king, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons Malon or Maklon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. The family is described as Ephrathites of Bethlehem Judah. The expression is apparently intended to convey that the family had not been later immigrants, but original Jewish settlers, or as the Jewish commentator have it, patrician burghers of the ancient Ephrath or fruitfulness. At one time, the family seems to have been neither poor nor of inconsiderable standing, but now, owing to the famine, Ephrath was no longer fruitlessness, but yet Bethlehem, the house of or fruitfulness, nor yet Bethlehem, the house of bread, and Elimelech, unable to, on account of the troubles in the west, to go for relief either into Philistia or into Egypt, migrated beyond Jordan and the reach of Israel's then enemies to sojourn in Moab. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Abraham alone is the father of us all, speaking after the manner of the flesh, and all who receive the blessings of the gospel are either natural or adopted sons in his everlasting family. Thus, also Nephi says, <clears throat> As many of the Gentiles as will repent are the covenant people of the Lord, and as many of the Jews as will not repent shall be cast off, for the Lord covenanteth with none, save it be with them that repent, and believe in his Son, who is the Holy One of Israel. And that was by Bruce R. McConkie. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for the heart, for the, for she had heard in the in the country of Moab how that it, the how had the Lord visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant unto you, grant you that ye, will, ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted, lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are, ye not, are there yet any more sons in my womb that that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an, a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them ha from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me such, or it grieveth me much for your sakes, that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her, or held fast to her. And she said, Behold, my, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people, and unto her gods return thou after thy sister-in-law. Orpah leaves, but Ruth stays with Naomi. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest I will go, and where, where, where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there I, there will I be buried, the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they went 
until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass. So this is about a 30 or 40 mile trip from uh, Moab to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, which is pleasant. Call me Mara, a name given to Naomi by herself, which means bitter or very sad. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me, or humbled me, so as in the Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of, of barley harvest. And now tidings reached Moab that Jehovah had visited his people to give them bread. Naomi heard in it a call to return to her own land and home. According to Eastern fashion, her daughters-in-law accompanied her on the way. When Naomi deemed the, that duty of proper respect sufficiently discharged, she stopped to dismiss them, as she delicately put it to their mother's, ho- to their mother's houses which, with tenderly spoken prayer, that after all their sorrow the God of Israel would give them rest in a new relationship, as they dealt lovingly both with the dead and with her. Closely examined, her words are found to convey, although with most exquisite delicacy, that if her daughters-in-law went with her, they must expect to remain forever homeless and strangers. She could, she could offer them no prospect of wedded happiness in her own family, and she wished to convey to them that no Israelite in his own land would ever wed a daughter of Moab. It was a noble act of self-denial on the part of the aged Hebrew widow, by this plain speaking to strip herself of all remaining comfort, and to face the dark future utterly childless, alone, and helpless. Remember back in the day, if you were a widow and uh, had no other means of support from a son or something, then you were on your own, and usually they were totally destitute. I'm not sure that that's right, but that's what happened. And when one of them, Orpah, turned back, though with bitter sorrow at the parting, Naomi had a yet more trying task before her. Ruth had indeed fully understood her mother-in-law's meaning, but there was another sacrifice which she must be prepared to make. If she followed Naomi, she must not only be parted from her people and give up her ever all her give up forever all worldly prospects, but she must also be prepared to turn her back upon her ancestral religion. But Ruth had had long made her choice, and the words in which she intimidated, or intimated in, in which she inti- in, in, um, let me start over. And the words in which she intimated it had deservedly become almost proverbial in the church. There is such ardor and earnestness about them, such resolution and calmness as to lift them up far above the sphere of mere natural affection or sense of duty. They intimate the de- the deliberate choice of a heart which belongs in the first place to Jehovah, the God of Israel, and which was learned to count all things, which has learned to count all things but loss for the excellency of, his, of this knowledge. Although the story of Ruth has been invested with romance from its sequel, there is nothing romantic about her present resolve, only the sternest prose of poverty is before her. Not to speak of the exceedingly depressing influence of her language, Naomi had been careful to take her to take from her any hope of a future such as she had enjoyed in the past. In truth, the choice of Ruth is wholly unaccountable except on the ground that she felt herself in heart and by conviction one of a Hebrew household, an Israelitish woman in soul and life 
and that although she should, in a sense, be disowned by those with whom she had resolved to cast in her lot. And that was, again, by Ralph, uh, Alfred Edersheim. Here's a little summary of uh, a few things about the book of Ruth. Yet another story of a very different kind from that of Samson remains to be told. It comes upon us with such sweet contrast, almost like a summer's morning after a night of wild tempest. And yet without this story, our knowledge of that period would be incomplete. It was in the days when the judges judged near the close of that eventful period, west of the Jordan, Jair and Eli held sway in Israel, while east of the river, the advancing tide of Ammon had not yet been rolled back by Jephthah, the Gileadite. Whether the incursions of the Ammonites had carried want and wretchedness so far south into Judah as Bethlehem, or whether it was only due to strictly natural causes, there was a famine in the land, and this became in the, in the wander-working providence of God, the wonder-working providence of God, one of the great links in the history of the kingdom of God. Bearing in mind the general characteristics of the period and such terrible instances of religious apostasy and moral degeneracy as, the, as, those occur, as those recorded in the two appendices to the book of Judges, which is chapters 17 to 21, we turn from a feeling of intense relief to the picture of Jewish life presented to us in the book of Ruth. Sheltered from scenes of strife and semi-heathenism, the little village of Bethlehem had retained among its inhabitants the, the purity of their ancestral faith and the simplicity of primitive manners. So that's the end of uh, the chapter one of Ruth, and come back next time. We'll see what happens. Bye.